0: Oh, <laughs> and welcome to Disability Dish the UML Perspective. My name is Janelle Tiaz. I'm an Assistant Director in Disability Services. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm so excited to have our fifth episode with all of you listeners today. We have some great guests for you. Um, I am a co-facilitator with my co-facilitator
1: Hi, everybody. Jody Rachens. I'm the Director of Disability Services. My pronouns are she, her, and we're excited to have you here. Hopefully, you've listened before if you've tuned in, um, but on our fifth episode, I will just give you a little kind of about the mission behind our podcast. So um, a very big initiative for the Disability Services Office is to really utilize collective skills and knowledge that we have to just go beyond accommodations. We really wanna openly and actively discuss ways in which we can support our fellow community members, whether it's within the university, outside networks or just in everyday life. Um, So it's important to have uh, a major effort to reduce stigma and shame around disability. Uh, We really like to flip the script and highlight the uncountable strengths that can show through disabilities. So among the various initiatives that we are working towards, uh, the podcast is one to really provide some representation and discussion around various interesting topics around disability.
0: And just a little disclaimer, this is just a discussion conversation these are our opinions and perspectives, there's no right or wrong answer. So with that said, we're gonna start by having our special guest speakers introduce themselves. Um, So whoever wants to kind of go first um, can definitely do so.
1: And we'll have you say your name, your role at the university and your relationship with the word disability. And Bridget, you look like you were you were jumping in. Taurus, sure, that that awkwardness of who she looks? Should we go alphabetically? We, we, we shake off the awkwardness. It's always like a little awkward for a couple minutes and we shake it off. It's okay. Okay, we'll shake off that awkwardness.
2: <laughs> Hi, I'm Bridget Marshall. I'm a professor in the English department here at UMass Lowell. I am so happy to be here. Thank you, Jody and Janelle, for the invitation. And I love everything about the mission that Jody just talked about. Um, my own relationship to disability would be that I teach a course on disability and literature here at UMass Lowell that I designed back in 2007, when someone came to me and said, Hey, we don't have a course related to this at all. This seemed and I was just fascinated by the idea that we didn't have any course. It's, we focus on so many different kinds of identities uh, and ideas and concepts and disability is a huge one that we can't overlook and is all too often overlooked. So uh, it's a course I developed, I teach almost every fall semester and I love it. Janelle, I'm oh, sorry, is it all right if I say that you were one yeah. of my students in that class at one point? Um, so I'll be happy to, to talk about what I've, what I've done there and uh, thanks for having me. I was going to say everyone take the course. It was a great course. Sounds (laughs) awesome. Thank you for the plug. (laughs) Uh,
3: well, I guess I'll go next. Mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I'm Patrick. I am a, uh, rising senior, um, at UMassel and I also work for transportation and my relationship with the world word disability is, uh, I, I have learning disabilities. So, um, it's kind of been my life up until now. I've, I live with a disability, you know? So uh, that's my relationship with the word, I guess. Thanks, Patrick. Oh.
1: <laughs> yeah, you,
3: um, over
4: there. <laughs> I'm, I'm Noah right now. I'm sort of between my junior and senior year. Uh, I'm an English major, mainly focused on journalism and professional writing, and my uh, relationship to disabilities, uh, well, first off, how much time you got. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was born with uh, Alport syndrome, which is a pretty rare kidney disease, so I ended up having to have a kidney transplant in 2019. I was on dialysis for about six months before then, um, that also it causes, uh, uh, my hearing and my eyesight to be pretty bad. Also, uh, growing up, I had, uh, I was diagnosed with both, uh, OCD and Tourette syndrome, so, yeah, I, I, I have, a
1: <laughs> Got a relationship with this. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Noah. So today we're talking about identity and disability identity. And Janelle and I are really excited about this topic because there's so much to it. Um, and we think um, we couldn't have a better set of guests to dig in with us. So, um, you know, Again, as I was joking, we'll shake off the awkwardness of like who talks and how that works out. But um, I just wanna sort of start with opening, like when you think of the word identity, like how do you define it? What do we think that that starts like? Uh,
3: I think identity is different for everybody, but I think in a disability um, context, I think it's kind of, you know hidden or visibility and then it's also kind of like what makes you you it's not like I like to like I don't I mean I'm not super super open that like you know I have ADHD and and all that stuff but I think I define my identity as something that's like part of me but it's not something that makes me super different or you know just something along those lines you know Yeah, I hard to
1: say,
4: right? (laughs) Yeah, I kind I kind of agree with that as far as like at least as far as disability goes. It's mainly that it's a part of you, but it isn't all of you. You know, there's there's more than just that, obviously.
2: Yeah, identity is just such a big, the huge umbrella term, and then there's so many different angles or lenses. There's a lot of different ways to sort of phrase, like how you might think about how your gender, how your uh, race, ethnicity, and disability, how all of those things, and more, you know, right, more aspects of your identity that come together um, to make up who you are to other people, who you are to yourself, like in your own in your own mind, how you think of yourself. So I think there's there's sort of at least two parts to identity, which would be like how you see yourself and want to see yourself and how other people outside you might see yourself, see, might see yourself. Sorry. Can you edit <laughs> that out, Janelle? That sounded bad. <laughs> how people um, might see you from the outside. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I'm, we- I, oh, sorry. I was it. just going to say, I sort of like how you mentioned that because when I think of identity i i mainly think of things sort of that we i i guess things that make us us meaning that like i feel like whether you're you know race ethnicity gender sexual orientation that kind of thing we don't really have much of a choice over that but to me identity or disability you don't not really have a choice in that either So, usually, uh, to me, it's more, I guess, identity is more so, I guess, based off of who we are as a person rather than sort of these kind of non-factors. Because, I mean, I think, I, I don't really think any of those things that, you know, you don't really have a choice over they don't really say who you are as a person, so, like, I mean, they're important, they can be important parts of you, for sure, but uh, they, you know, you don't necessarily get to know someone just based on that.
1: I think what you're saying, Noah, and sort of goes into this, like, why is identity important construct, is sort of, like, as humans, like we kind of naturally categorize everything around us, like our whole world is split into this or that or the other thing, you know, our our whole brains just like list out list everything into categories. And so we do that with people too. And there are certain categories that help us sort of understand people. But your point around that, that like actually doesn't really give us everything we need to know to understand people is important to think about too, that we, there are categories that we can see or not see, but that, that doesn't necessarily make it a whole person in the end either, so. yeah.
0: And just kind of further going off of that, you touched upon that Jody, about the society impacts, but how do you all believe society impacts how identity is perceived and or accepted?
3: I think growing up, um, it it was interesting. It's kind of it's kind of like why um, I'm actually excited to come on this today, and then um, mm-hmm. why we created this uh, kind of committee. And it's you know my high school was a great high school, lots of funding, but there was still kind of this stigma around. You know, you don't want to be friends with the kids who are in special education um yeah. and i think that definitely um had a lot of kids not wanting to be associated um in that room if they were you know it was something that it did it it was something they hid uh you know they didn't bring up because they didn't want to be outcasted mm. you know so
1: that stigma piece mm-hmm.
3: it, yeah
4: um I went to a public elementary school, and then afterwards I went I went to private school, but my best friend from elementary school, he was in the special ed class. And he always sort of thought that that made him stupid or something. And I felt really he he always felt like people thought he was stupid when that really wasn't the case. And, like, right now, he's doing really, really well for himself. He has a job, uh, as an electrician, he's making a lot of money. Yeah. And then, so, I mean, he's definitely a really bright guy, but, uh, yeah, it always sort of hurt to see him, like, feel that way, I guess.
0: So I'm hearing from kind of both of you is that at times identity can be perceived in a negative manner versus a positive manner. And sometimes we are not being accepted because of our identities.
3: Yeah, I agree with that, yeah.
1: I'm curious where we think that that idea stems from Where people think that they don't want to associate with somebody because they think they're stupid or they think that there's something going on in the room, the special ed room or whatever, like what do we think that comes out of?
4: Well, I mean, I'm not quite sure because I never really even knew what that was, I guess, so Mm -hmm. like I knew most of the kids and the special ed class and they weren't really any different from the kids who i guess you would say in the regular classes but hmm. like, like i said my best friend was in the special ed class so actually if anything i would have wanted to be in it too because he was there <laughs> <laughs> like we like as far as like when i was growing up i i don't really think there was any sort of stigma there, there I mean, I think we sort of knew that that class, I guess, was supposed to be different, but we didn't really understand why, mm-hmm. and we didn't really care that much. So, uh,
3: yeah, I think there were some kids um, like that, but I think it's, I think it has a lot to do with the upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because there are some kids who just in general, aren't very judgy, they're open to new friendships with anybody, doesn't matter what other people think of them, like, they always give kind of someone uh, a chance, and there are other people who just shut you away, because of who you are, or how you identify, or, you know, stuff like that.
1: Dare I say, fear of the unknown. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, that's
4: sort of what but it all comes down to as far as, like, if you look at things like, I guess, r- racism, a lot of it has to come from fear of the unknown. So, like, oh, you if you don't, like, for me, I remember, uh, you know, when I was in, full disclosure, if you're listening to this, I'm white, I'm very white, <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, podcast
1: description Thanks. yeah there <laughs> yeah. were
4: these two brothers who who uh started going to my elementary school I think in first grade and they were black and I and uh I actually thought it was it cool that their skin color was different from mine like that was the only thing I realized I didn't have I mean I noticed it I feel like most people are able to notice that kind of thing. But I was act rather than being sort of frightened by it, I actually thought it thought it was interesting. And then even though they moved away like a couple of years later, I was friends with both of them. So
2: I think Jody's point about fear is really important, unfortunately, like if we don't talk about, the other thing is we, it's a perpetuating thing where if we don't talk about disability, it becomes Mm -hmm. something that, oh, don't, don't mention that, don't look at that person because, well, they have a disability and we just don't, we don't talk about that. And if you're not going to look at them, then you can't engage them and you can't have a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. And it sort of snowballs in that way. So I feel like, you know, things like this, where we're sitting around talking about disability. Disclosing if we feel comfortable a disability um, is a really positive step forward um, to sort of fight that stigma, right? And to, I, mean, I see little kids all the time who they're curious about disability mm-hmm. when they see someone with a physical mm-hmm. disability or they see someone behaving differently. And some parents, I, I understand the urge, like, oh, don't, don't do that, you know, don't, don't, don't point. Don't, don't yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know we've talked about this in class yeah. before, right? Um, that. I understand the instinct. I know in general, the parent means well there, but a better thing to do is, is to, to navigate and talk with your, well, talk with your kid before you encounter someone Mm -hmm. with a disability would be a really good thing to do as well. Um, And to, and to get kids out and seeing more people and connecting Mm -hmm. with more people, having, having schools that are more integrated in all sorts of ways that Noah Mm -hmm. just brought up as well, right? Where you, you are going to encounter people who look different than you, who behave different different ways and uh, that that's a good thing that you can remove some of that fear and hopefully dial back that stigma because uh, otherwise it just grows and and continues and you have people uh, just creating really negative uh, cycles in terms of fear and stigma and and perpetuating that with younger younger kids as well.
4: Yeah, um, uh, to just go off of that, a lot of that is sort of pushed on people by their parents uh, from a very young age so like the way i sort of look at things is uh lots of people like i don't really think anyone is born as a racist they're sort of made that way by saying like if they have no experience being around other i guess people of other races and their parents sort of force the that's those sort of ideals on them then they're gonna grow up most likely they're gonna grow up to be that way and i think it's up to i guess maybe people people in general to sort of go against that kind of kind of thing and i all admit like personally like it can be difficult at certain times, especially when it comes to disability. is such a broad term; mm-hmm. you can mean it, you could really mean anything from like being blind, being deaf, or like being physically impaired. And then there were because I spent a lot of time in the hospital, obviously, because my my medical problems. Uh, you know, I would see people, or mostly children who you you know they would be severely disabled like in there'd be in a wheelchair and then they couldn't even really speak coherently They'd just make sounds and you know as a like, when you s- see that kind of thing and you're not used to it, it it can definitely scare you not that i not that i think it should scare should scare you, I'm just saying it will catch you off guard. Yeah, Um,
1: and I think you you got what you're all saying is something that comes up for me, and I I have an almost four-year-old who uh, is a question asker, and and so, you know, I am in very early stages of trying to figure out, like, appropriate language to kind of label some of those tough questions, and some of those questions that Mr. Almost Four is asking is, you know, we drove by a cemetery the other day and wanted to know what that was and what are those sculptures and you know and I was trying to kind of say like, well, "Those aren't sculptures let's talk about death a little bit in four year old language and you know and. We, I make a really big effort to make sure that we're reading books where there's all different types of identities represented and having conversations and and saying, yeah, what's why why is she sitting there and there's wheels? And I say, well, you know what, those those are so that they can help her move forward and your legs help you move forward and her wheels help her move forward and just trying to use really simplistic language, but to like give honor. But I think that like I've put a lot of like Effort. And my, my husband reports that he has a harder time with those conversations because he also doesn't want to say the wrong thing. And, and and I'm trying to have those conversations around like, well, you know, we can also make mistakes and we can, you know, this feels like a theme every time we Nurse do the, right. around, like, make, the fear of making mistakes is sometimes the bigger thing of the fear of the unknown. It's like we might say something that we didn't really mean to say. And then it just opens a new conversation around like how to learn from that and say we're all growing we're all making our best effort you know and so um you know there's a book that he wanted to know why there's only a mom in the book you know and so you know all these different conversations and so I have kind of made a conscious decision as a parent that like I'm gonna try to use as much as a four-year-old construct can handle like we're going to talk about it. Um, you know, this is normal and let's talk, let's normalize this, but it's not easy either. And it's not easy for me, but I try. Um, My dad
2: used a wheelchair and I remember vividly like some little kids that would be really freaked out by it, but then other, some kids, some kids who would be really curious about it. And my dad loved putting little kids on his wheel, his like (laughs) electric wheelchair and showing up. And there was like a horn kind of thing on it. There was this one kid who loved, and so he used it as a sort of, way to connect in in ways that were really I watched as adults would be really taken aback by that because they felt like no I need to stop my kid from doing this but it was something for my dad that he felt I mean I think he was trying to destigmatize it and make it like Mm -hmm. hey it's not a big deal that I'm in this wheelchair Mm because it was a big deal that he was in the wheelchair but um, it was it was something that was, and that's it's not going to be the case for everyone, but I think we need to um, allow the person with the disability to set the terms for that, right? We, can't, we mm-hmm. can't say that a person in a wheelchair needs to educate everybody who comes up to them, mm-hmm. but we also can't just walk away or avoid or be afraid of either. That's the, these, these two extremes are, are both a problem.
0: I can definitely say i'm the cool aunt because of my wheelchair and my horn as well <laughs> <natural>. <laughs> you're definitely the cool aunt to you know <laughs> um but i think you bring up a good point um in terms of trying to stigmatize the wheelchair in general like myself as a wheelchair user you just kind of want to feel connected and you want to be able to find a way to connect with people. Us as human beings are naturally wanting to connect with other individuals. So we work really hard to make those connections in whatever way that we can. And sometimes identity can come in the way of that if it's um, a visible identity that someone perceives as a negative one.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: At the same time, don't touch anybody's wheelchair if they haven't expressly <laughs> given you permission to do so. I don't want to suggest that anyone should be, like, That's throwing practices. their kid over. To- <laughs> That's yeah. Also, this shouldn't go
4: without saying, but if yeah. you ever watch a TV show where people use wheelchairs when they can actually walk, definitely don't do that in real life.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah.
4: I'm just thinking of that episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where they all go on wheelchairs and then yeah you
1: you bring up a good point though there's this media component that you know we've had an episode on already but it's gonna always be talked about is sort of we're exposed to media and we're exposed to the news and how is disability identity being portrayed in positive ways and negative ways that help us form others the kind of what bridget was saying like the uh, the identity that we think of others and our ident- identity within ourselves and you know that's a whole thing
4: I th- well yeah i think things have changed definitely changed a lot over the years especially recently i th- pe- i feel like in the media there has been a sort of lot of a lot of De-stigmatization of dis- various uh, disabilities So for for example, like they'll have shows or movies about ser- like like uh, people with autism and then you know the movie that just won the Oscar was about a deaf family mm-hmm. and then watching that people can realize, hey these people are aren't any different from us they just have you know like oh, just because they can't hear doesn't mean they are any different from the rest of us. Mm -hmm. So I think think that sort of showing that kind of thing is very important. And Mm -hmm. I think, and even though it, maybe it isn't done as often as it should be, I feel like it's sort of, you know, it used to be like they wouldn't do that kind of thing at all. So I feel like showing disability in media, sort of, sort of, I you know, also in a way, like I feel like it's not positive or negative. It's just neutral. It's just a part of a person. Again, like, like I was sort of saying earlier, it's just a part of who a person is. It's not their whole personality. It's just you know something, something about them. Just one thing. And I think, I think it's important that people can be shown that so they can realize it.
0: So I think you bring up a point that we are making kind of greater strides in the media in terms of incorporating disability more. Um, But, so fun fact, research states that one in four American adults have a disability, but that not all identify as being disabled. So what factors do you think lead to a person either identifying or not identifying as a person with a disability?
3: Uh, I think societal pressure is one of those. Um, You know, there's some people who, uh, like myself even, um, I always knew that I had learning disabilities and all that, but I didn't really want to go out and kind of everybody I met kind of tell them, oh yeah, like I have ADHD or this is how it was in high school for me, uh, because, you know, a lot of people, um, will and have like pushed away because most people aren't very open, uh, even when they say they do, uh, or when they, when they say they are. Um, so I think a lot of people, a lot of people want um, people around them and don't want to give out information that might be true to them and how they identify for fear of being kind of like left alone, you know? hmm
1: Yeah.
2: I think another factor is just how big the umbrella is that uh, the, dis- the, the term disability covers. So someone who uses a wheelchair, someone who is blind, and someone who's deaf have wildly different needs, right? The specific, um, the way that they, what they see as their identity is going to be really different. And they might not feel like that larger umbrella of disability applies to them. Or uh, Patrick, what you were just saying about having a learning disability or having ADHD, that maybe you don't want to be, I'm going to say in in scare quotes, like lumped in with this Mm -hmm. other range of disabilities. I think there's also a fairly common problem where someone might have a physical disability and assumptions are made that they have other additional disabilities. So I mean, I've heard this sort of as a joke from someone who was blind, and they someone was yelling at them to when they were talking to them, like, Mm -hmm. I'm not deaf. Um, And so an assumption, oftentimes that someone isn't as smart, because oh there must be an intellectual disability that goes along with this physical disability I can see. So I think there's definitely stigma around that, that an assumption that someone's going to think, again, in scare quotes, that you're worse off than you are, or that that Mm -hmm. somehow disability as a term is too big, and that's not what someone wants to identify as.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
4: like, as far as I go, I sort of, yeah, I agree. I think the term itself is sort of very broad, like, You know, how I, I I said, like, I have these various, I guess you would consider them to be disabilities, but I've never really considered myself to be disabled because maybe it's just because, like, most of the time my life is just like anyone else's, although there, there definitely was a time where, you know, it, it wasn't, and it was very difficult because of, uh, because of my health problems mm-hmm. and I think I think maybe during that time if you asked me if I was disabled I probably would have said yes but now since I i am no longer in that place thankfully I might you know I probably wouldn't consider myself to be disabled. I guess I guess the term itself to me sort of means like maybe somebody who needs assistance living everyday life or maybe that's just my interpretation of it i feel like everyone probably has their own interpretation that's of pretty it
1: pretty much the clinical definition is so like, what is the functionally limited yeah component that was of this person's life to be disabled is really the question yeah
4: so like i said i think you know definitely uh i had to there was a time for you know like uh, a good at least six months, where you know I had to be hooked up to a machine for, for three days a week for four hours in order to just stay alive. So, and then afterwards, it it was exhausting. Like I could I could barely do anything. I I tried taking uh, two classes. I was at uh, a community college then. I tried taking two classes, and I had to end up dropping one because I just couldn't handle it. It was just so exhausting, and then, and then, you know, thankfully, I'm out I was really lucky to get a transplant as quick, as, as quickly as I did, and I, uh, and then since then, you know, my life has really gone back to normal, although maybe during COVID, it wasn't, (laughs) that was kind of the I always thought it was kind of funny that after I had my transplant, I had to stay uh, quarantined for a couple of months mm-hmm. because I was immune to compromise. And then, then, so, you know, I already had, I was just like, Oh, so, so right when everything got was back to normal for me is when COVID happens and then everyone was all, you know, complaining about sort of the, isolation of it and I'm just thinking well yeah this is this isn't anything new for me mm-hmm.
2: that's not fair I'm so sorry Noah <laughs> no it's
4: fine no it's fine <laughs> I...
1: Janelle you were gonna say something I
4: don't
0: yeah.
1: know if you're saying yeah that. so I was gonna say
0: like I feel like you both kind of touched upon this a little bit there kind of seems to be I don't want to say a hierarchy in disability, but kind of a hierarchy in disability, right? Depending on what, how high your needs are, the level of your needs are, and not wanting to be categorized as having a higher level need in some situations and cases, which might lead to someone not wanting to identify as a person with a disability and the numbers that researchers are currently finding that people aren't identifying, although we know that one every four Americans
1: have adults, have disabilities. Or they identify and they have the privilege to identify in certain pockets of life and not in other pockets of life, you know. um, In order to receive academic accommodations, you must identify with our office. But you may not. Your friends may not know, or you know, um, other people may not know. Your work may not know, depending on sort of where where you're at and what your pockets are in terms of how you um, choose. So, if you have the privilege to choose um, to identify, that's a that's certainly a component. I also have been hearing a little bit lately, and talking with some students that some students who may live somewhere in like maybe the middle of a hierarchy don't want to be taking advantage of the system whatever that means to them um you know to be asking for accommodations to them means taking advantage of a system you know which is an interesting idea too when we think of stigma and kind of what what comes up for that.
4: Yeah I mean I've sort of felt like that too like I sort of felt like oh I shouldn't sign up for the disability services because you know I my what I have isn't say as bad as somebody else's I I mean my my disability affects me less than maybe another another person's does and actually I thought it was interesting because my mom was talking to me about that the other day of people taking advantage of it and then I was thinking then I was sort of being a bit defensive, saying like, "Oh, so you mean so? I, how is it people taking advantage of it if it's available to them? How, like, if it some if they have help that's available and they need the help, shouldn't they shouldn't they you know take the help that if they need it that that doesn't seem like taking advantage of anything to me. It seems mm-hmm. like just common sense."
2: And it's really interesting that the language is "take advantage," because in right. other contexts, that's a positive thing. Like, oh, I'm taking advantage of all the things that school has to offer for right. me. Right? We we frame that as a positive thing, right? When we send students off to school and say, make sure you, you know, go to some clubs and and do these things, take advantage of all the world has to offer. But we also mean this very undercutting thing about like, oh, you're taking advantage of the system. And that's a that's a very strange
1: mm-hmm. swap
2: that happens there. And I think it's also tied to some people. I think there's a sizable group out there that thinks people are faking their disabilities, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And so then there's that fear that folks with disabilities have that they will be seen as faking or, or, or you know, uh, masking something that's, um, that's really troubling. And I, I honestly don't know where that comes from that idea that people are, are faking things that that's a, a area I haven't really uh, thought,
4: for- but it's very strange and I upsetting. F- I forget the name of it, but there was is some sort of mental uh, I, I don't, I don't know if it's a disorder or not, but it makes people think that they have a certain disability when they really don't, and so technically they're lying about it, but they really feel like they think that they have it. But it's so incredibly rare than people lying about it. It's so incredibly rare that like there's millions of people, like you said, one in four adults in the united states have a disability so i mean right so we're just supposed to, well, how many people are there like 300 right. 300 million people half of them are if half of them are adults and then you know a quarter of that you have a you have around pl- close to around 100 million people. That, yeah, I'm sure like 100 million people are definitely lying about it. That's ridiculous. right.
1: But but, the, but then the media is highlighting those cases. And so they stick with us. Yeah. So there was a lot... Somewhat recently on, you know, people bringing animals on airplanes, let's say, trying to beat a system because they didn't want to pay a fee. So people are bringing their emotional support like peacocks on a, on an airplane and those would get really highlighted in the news like the New York Times is writing on like the emotional support crocodile that showed up on the on the airplane and so forth and that that messes with an identity of somebody who maybe really requires an animal, Um, you know, somebody who has a service animal who really requires an animal as a function of their ability to survive and be in the world and navigate life, Um, It's an extension of their person. And so those get really magnified and they do mess with the sense of what is the system and beating it and taking advantage of it.
4: I don't think you could have a crocodile, though, because if you had a crocodile on a plane, the crocodile would eat everyone. Okay, maybe,
1: maybe I went too cro- far, but I think people definitely read a story about an emotional support peacock. Like, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that was there,
2: so maybe. A oh
4: yeah, yeah, I think I, I remember <laughs> that.
2: But the fact that that's the story that runs in the New York right. Times and, and not the stories about, oh, uh, airplane uh, workers just ruining people's wheelchairs. Okay. That happens far more often so than much. a quote yeah. fake emotional support animal. That that's what. That's the story that we or not we, but that people have chosen to tell and, and retell. I think it maybe is also related to folks not understanding the sort of spectrum that so many disabilities exist on and that yeah. some people who use wheelchairs need a wheelchair all the time. But some people who use wheelchairs are able to walk for short amounts or are able right. to walk some days in the case right. of like someone with MS. And so it's this assumption that disability is always this one thing and it always looks this exact way. Right. And oh, wait, this person is in between these categories somehow, this person, they have a handicap
1: placard, but they're walking, Um, those kinds of things. Yeah.
2: And I feel like that is about a bigger education for people about, okay, disability doesn't just look one way. It doesn't, even for one person, it doesn't look one way all the time necessarily. Um, so I feel like that's that's a big hole in our education that maybe is partly contributing to uh, to some of the stuff we're talking about here.
0: I always say that people can have the same disability, but they can experience it completely differently.
3: Mm-hmm. I think with the, going back to like exaggerating, I think I think most people use their accommodations when they need it to, what i've been described to uh, like in high school to uh, what they said to even out the playing field
4: mm-hmm,
3: I think, mm-hmm. um is kind of how they describe when when we were going through you know kind of what accommodations you need it's kind of they're kind of like you know we're we're kind of looking at these accommodations and do they level the field for you across yeah. the whole student body to kind of rule out excessive accommodations, like an emotional support peacock, (laughs) you know? Um, So I don't think people do as much, at least not in my experience.
0: I would even say in my experience, people tend to underutilize the resources available to them because they are trying to, again, fit in into as much as they can to prove that, you know, they aren't, quote, um, different,
2: right? Mm Mm-hmm. I definitely see that all the time Janelle Um, and sometimes it's because they've been told they don't know that you don't need you don't actually need that extra time for that exam or that's that's not necessary and people who don't actually you know have the information about it or likewise I see sometimes students that might that 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 don't have a disability accommodation oh well why does that person get extra time that's not fair to me and there's just kind of a lack of understanding like no there's 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 a reason. There's studies that show that actually, if these folks get more time, they will do better. Versus extra time isn't going to change things for other for other populations. Right. Um, yeah, a, a profound misunderstanding of of like, what preparedness those is preparedness.
1: Are. It just ends up being what, it, yes. what What do you need from from there? <laughs> so. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I
4: know this. I'm hoping this kind of thing is rare, but I know my sister went to suffolk university only for about a month because uh she she signed up with the disability services and then she gave the slip i guess to one of her professors and the professor started just chastising her in front of the whole classroom saying like well you don't look disabled to me like that kind of that kind of thing was almost sort of like in a way bullying her for it like uh And it's strange. It's just like, you don't, you don't know what happened to her. Like, I mean, and also the, also, she shouldn't even have to say anything. Mm -hmm. You just, that's your job is to just accept it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I hope, I hope whoever that was got fired.
2: (laughs) I'm so sorry that that happened. That's definitely not okay, but it happens enough. Yeah. I hate that it happens okay. at all, but it happens enough that people are reluctant. They've other Every other student in that class saw that interaction and it just communicated to them that disability was not right. something that they could talk about freely in that course.
1: And your sister took that as her narrative now to decide about her identity from every one of these like touch points that happen about her identity. She now had to decide from that moment how she was going to feel about her identity and what she was going to do about it from there. And, you know, that's, that's what happens to us, like for positive or for negative, we have touch points and we have to decide what we can do in terms of our feelings and our identity and our pride and, you know, all the different components um, of it too. So that's a, you know, that's that nature versus nurture situation. We're always kind of Mm -hmm. battling. I'll it just goes to show how much work we
0: still have to do in order to create an inclusive equitable environment for all right
4: um i don't necessarily know if it is a disability but i know uh when i when i was in high school i was uh diagnosed with uh with like a clinical depression however i i know for years at that point i didn't th- i thought it was normal and i didn't think it was a problem mm. so i know i don't even know if that would count as a disability i feel like but my sister dealt with something similar, but in a way, it was like even worse. So, I think you're you're that. putting
1: that hierarchy out there with all the different categories. Maybe of I am. Of, and what Janelle is saying is two different people with the same diagnosis. It's going to present really differently for them in terms of level of functioning in daily life and you know mental health conditions are absolutely up there as one of the most complex that are the hardest to kind of figure out and that because mm-hmm. they're invisible which we talk about a lot is that they're invisible to others and so you know figuring that out and, and then, how debilitating it can be is, a, is yeah. a also weapon. i
4: do feel like the sort of faking when it comes to that rather than other disabilities it is extremely common like people will say they're oh they have depression when they aren't diagnosed with it like I mean in order it's really
1: colloquial in our language right now to use certain terms that may not be you
4: know oh I have I'm very had a panic attack or whatever yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and it's to the point where like yeah, everyone has anxiety, but if you have an anxiety, if you have like a problem with it, there you have you're diagnosed with that. And I think that lots of people have problems when it, it's just sort of thrown around as kind of just, just like you no know, anything. I I guess like oh I almost it's almost to the point of saying that you're hungry. Like oh I. Oh, I'm anxious or I'm depressed. Like it's that common now. And then people don't really understand the. I mean, there's a whole stigma against mental health to begin with, anyways. Mm -hmm. So, and that that doesn't even touch the surface of it.
3: I think bring that, that's a good point about also just in general, like um, what most people consider disability, and then also bringing in, like, identifying and whether people are going to, like, um, like, uh, like the factors, um, that people kind of consider when identifying themselves as someone disabled is, you know, like, I don't want to say this because what if some people will come up to me and be like, well, especially for, like, hidden disabilities or maybe, you just were diagnosed with like ALS or something it's it's not something you can see so if you identify people are going to ask well like show me the notes like show me the proof Mm. that like you actually you know you're not doing this for 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 a show." yeah
4: I mean I think in cases where if it's just like anyone it's easy to just say like that person talking to that person or even being around them isn't worth my time if people are gonna be like that however like i guess if it was what if you were like in a class or if you it was at your job or something and your boss or your teacher is saying that then that's where it can definitely get become problematic not that it isn't problematic when people would do that kind of thing in general but it i think it's when it's someone you have to be around, definitely, it, it can be very difficult.
0: It can definitely be very difficult to, to face discrimination and stigma on a day day basis, right? And so, a question I have is, do you think it's important for people who have a disability to identify as a person with a disability? Even That's though they have a, to face stigma and not an easy question, you know it's okay to. I don't know.
4: I'm, I'm, I'm really. Know. Oh, sorry. Um, oh no, that was that was all oh, I was going <laughs> to say.
0: That. I'm going to say one more thing. I I had this question on here because I once was part of a panel and someone asked me if you had children and you can cure your disease, would you take that as an option? And I was like my first instinct, because, yes, of course, why would I want to have my children face hardship on a day-to-day basis, right? But then the person was like, but you're eliminating differences in the world. You're eliminating culture. You're eliminating, um, like, embracing differences. Hmm. And I was like, I understand your point 100%, but as a person who has lived with a disability my entire life, and understands what comes with that and the barriers that come with that, I would still stick to my answer. That's where that question came from.
4: (laughs) Yeah, um, I would definitely, personally that I sort of have a lot to say about that because of the kidney disease I was born with. I pretty much, like if I ever, to have, I mean, I'm not at the point in my life now where, um, uh, I'd try to have a kid or anything. But you know, maybe if if it was like 15, 20 years from now, <laughs> if I had a daughter, sh- she would be pretty much that chances of her having what I have would be, uh, nearly guaranteed. And again, like, I I don't think I could, I don't, I wouldn't want anyone to deal with what I, what I've dealt with. I think it's more so, it's not being, like you were saying, like, oh, you're sort of eliminating differences. I wouldn't really look at it, like, I don't really look at it like that. I would say, like, it's extreme, like, what I... Would I dealt with having to pretty much uh, I, I don't know, it's difficult to explain right now, but I'm just thinking like I wouldn't want to subject another person to that because it's extremely it's extremely difficult for both physically and mentally. And so it's yeah, all- if if I'm ever at that point in my life, it would be it's going to be a very i'm gonna have to make very difficult decisions but i know for a fact that i i couldn't in in my right mind ever let anyone deal with what i have so uh
3: i think it's an interesting conversation because um I don't know I think it depends on how you grew up I think a lot of kind of my opinions of these certain topics is, is based on how I grew up and you know I'm i no neurodivergent and my parents aren't and all my siblings aren't and I'm just having to be the only one and so they don't understand me so it's kind of like I kind of like being different
1: mm-hmm.
3: you know mm-hmm. and I don't think I mean, I don't think having it passed on would be a bad thing. I think differences are good, but I understand where, um, where Noah and you are coming from as you know, you live through it and something you wouldn't want someone else to live through. But I think when it comes to being neurodivergent, it's a little different because it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily health, like deteriorating it's just a difference and in... yeah right.
1: there's a like a pain yeah. incurred I... kind of six situation yeah,
3: they're,
4: they're, yeah i completely court, yeah. agree like i have lots of friends who are who are autistic and then i mean i don't treat them any differently than i would a regular person without autism i shouldn't say regular i should just say a person without autism Because to me, they are just regular people. Mm -hmm. I don't really, yeah, they might act a little differently at certain times, but it doesn't, I mean, that shouldn't really matter. I feel like everyone acts differently in their own ways. We're all, Mm -hmm. people are unique, you know, we're all different. So I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. So I, when I see things like autism speaks, that organization trying saying like, oh, how autism is like the worst thing ever like they had some whole thing saying like like they're trying to cure it And then I think like even mm-hmm. even if even if you could, then, but it's just like would people even want that because mm-hmm. I don't know, I sort of forget. Because I read or or heard about this a long time ago, but I know they did, they did had some sort of video that was extremely disgusting, saying that, you know, pretty much they said, almost said like, if you're, if kids would rather be dead, would be better off dead than they would be with autism. And that made me furious. And I think that would be like that for pretty much everyone so So like it was was completely disgusting yeah identifying
1: with the positives of a disability can really help educate the society and Mm -hmm. the community um you know and i think all the way back to what bridget said in the beginning is sort of like the identifying with a disability we have to think about like the internal version of identifying with a disability and how others look at us and there's, it's layered in in both directions in terms of identity, which is why we thought this was an important topic to talk about today, because it's complicated.
2: Janelle, to come back to your question, I, I don't want to put it on people with disabilities to have to embrace that identity. If you do, right. awesome, but I don't feel like we should be asking people with disabilities to do more. I think we need to make a world that is going to be more inclusive and mm-hmm. make it easier for people to, to want to identify, mm-hmm. to choose right. that identity. But I'm, I'm very reluctant to suggest to anyone what kind of language they should use to refer to themselves, and if, if disability isn't a termino- mm-hmm. term that they want, Um, I I definitely am not at all going to be one to, to, to recommend even, you know, um, because we are in a world that discriminates. And so I think that it's um, a, a very, unfortunately, a very sound and reasonable decision to make at the same time it's fra- weighted in so many ways as, as you were talking about Janelle with like the, or, and Jody about the the have if you have the privilege to not choose that identity that someone won't know versus folks who don't really have that option because their disability is more visible or mm-hmm. I- in some way to that society will choose that identity
1: for them anyway right. Yeah. I feel like we could go for another hour, but we probably should wrap up. So Janelle is going to go for it with our closing question. And then maybe we just need to have like a part B of this conversation or like C and D and E or something. I don't know. We'll find out, but let's see. uh, Let's get our closure. I think. All right.
0: (laughs) So after this conversation, what is the takeaway that will stick with you? And has anything changed about how you feel as a person with a disability or an ally about disability stigma? So, two part. Oh,
1: I part. popped it in the Perfect. chat. It's a, it's a lot to answer. <laughs> we'll is. just each take a turn to, to kind of share.
3: Um, I think a takeaway that I have um, that'll stick with me from this conversation, I think. Uh, like I always knew disability was a spectrum and then within it there's spectrums, obviously. Um, but I think also just within that there's a, a whole another spectrum of, um, opinions. And I think that even as someone who is part of the community, I think we, I think, um, I think I just have to be even more open than I already am because there's different layers to it. And then I think I feel the same as I did before as a person with a disability. Um, But regarding stigma, I think there's just more of like more we need to do. And there's kind of like a longer road than I think I realized before. Mm
1: -hmm. Thanks, Patrick
3: yeah
4: I mean, I, I'm I feel sort of complicated when it comes to this kind of stuff, especially. Uh, I'm just gonna admit that after I had my kidney transplant, I tried to stay away from thinking about that stuff as much as I possibly could because it, it was a pretty it was a very extremely difficult experience to go through Sorry. Sure. so like i remember i think i might have gotten a little bit upset if my because my, my mom might have posted something on facebook about like or being an, an organ donor and i mean maybe at the, at the time i was upset now now i'm not so but then she she i think she asked me like why aren't you more involved in that and and then I did sort of feel bad about it, but I feel like for one thing, it's not it, it's not entirely who I am. I think it's definitely I think it's important to be an organ donor. I think every person should sign up. I th- it can it saves lives. And yes, I completely agree with it, but I think I sort of after my experience, I sort of tried to avoid talking about it as much as I could. And then so, sort of coming on here today to talk about it was pretty, was kind of difficult for me emotionally. And uh, I guess um maybe what, I, maybe I'm sort of playing into my own, my own sort of what I think disability is when I, when, and I think maybe that's what I'm going away with is we shouldn't think of it in one way. We shouldn't, we might all have our own perspective on it, but we should be open-minded. We should be willing to listen to other people and we should recognize that, you know, these disabilities exist and, you know, problems arise because of that for many people and it's important that you know we give people the help that they need just as we would anyone else anyone else even if a person wasn't disabled if someone needs help you help them it's really it's not that never really been that complicated for me (laughs) I guess as far as that goes but thanks Noah yeah, yeah thank
1: you
2: Ah, uh, for me, I, I'll really take away uh, what Patrick and Noah and Janelle said about their experiences with disability, like uh, hearing these hearing your stories, hearing uh, what you've experienced, I think uh, is really at the heart of conversations like this. So you know i'll I'd love to be a part of more conversations and definitely looking forward to listening to more episodes because the more we hear, these stories and experiences, the better our understanding of the world, the better we'll be able to hopefully make a, a more just and equitable uh, community for for everyone, right? To, to be inclusive of everyone.
1: Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, that was our round of applause. It was quick. quick <laughs> <Like> this time. <laughs> All right. That's it.